Events of the past 12 months have once again highlighted that Australia still has a long way to go when it comes to our relationship with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. 20 years on from the Reconciliation March of 2000, the path to reconciliation is still one that as a nation we have a long way to travel. In that spirit of reconciliation, I would like to offer my respects to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, both past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. So hello everyone and welcome to this recording of the UX Australia podcast. I am joined today by two of our most favourite people, Ruth and Michelle. Welcome to you both. Hi, glad to be here. Thanks, Steve. We are uh, always thrilled to um, have you both Um, and we've been uh, privileged over the years to have you present both workshops and, and presentations on a number of occasions. You are talking at the upcoming design research conference. But firstly, um, and I might start with you, Ruth, whereabouts are you joining us today? So I'm calling in from a uh, calling in. It's very, <laughs> very old fashioned because that's if we're on a radio call. Um, I'm actually um, having this conversation here from Canberra, Australia. Nice. How are things in Canberra today? It is actually a cloudy day, um, but looking very nice, actually, for a summer day. We have these kinds of false uh, kind of autumns where we start getting cooler, then you get lulled in the sense of security, and then, boom, summer comes back again. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit like that in Sydney yesterday. It was overcast. It was 23, 24 degrees, and it felt like it was going to rain, but it never did. Um, and then I was out walking, and suddenly the sun came out, and the temperature must have risen five or six degrees, which of course meant I was completely uh, dressed inappropriately by that stage. What about you, Michelle? Where are you about to you? Um, I'm caught while zooming in from from Sydney, Australia, and it's a beautiful day outside. It is at the moment, yeah. Yeah, we've had weird weather as well, though, Um, especially over the weekend. It kind of got really cold for a bit. It It did indeed. But it's it's not the end of summer yet, so I'm not willing to uh, <laughs> I'm not willing to welcome autumn yet. Got a, a, a few more weeks of it before we do that. Now, um, you're at, at UX Australia. You're giving uh, sorry at, at Design Research. You're giving um, a talk version of a workshop that you've run before around sort of finding ways to give actionable insights or to create actionable insights. Let me start with what's What's the importance of an actionable insight rather than your your regular insight? That's a good question. I, I might jump in first, Michelle, if you're really jumped in. Um, I actually might take a step back and why we got to this point because often yeah. Michelle and I, we've been working with, with um, not just researchers but our stakeholders. I've heard often over and over again people say, oh, Ruth, you know, it's great we've got researchers on board, but the stuff that they're giving me, I'm not quite sure what to do with it. And then he's like, oh, okay, tell me more, <laughs> you know, doing research on, on our research processes. Um, and I was talking to a recent stakeholder like, well, a few months ago, and she was telling about why, you know, she's got great researchers, but she just could never quite get that bit of going, but, you know, what do I do next? But when I was talking to her, it was really more around from a strategic lens. She was trying to understand what the impact it was having um, on the direction of the project. But the work the researchers were doing and tasked to do was very much tactical, very much, and, and that's totally fine, right? There's different, there's different levels of research. 
So where Michelle is trying to come from is how do we help researchers, you know, take have a, have a think about the kind of research we're doing, the outcomes that we get from there, and how do we get from findings to insights to actionable insights? Right. Yeah, and I think alongside that as well, we've also found that that word of insight is often used to explain pretty much anything from a data point to an observation to a finding. And so just sort of clearly outlining those differences between data, between findings, between insights, and then actionable insights, just so that we've got that sort of common language across the industry as well. I think that's one of the sort of key differences of um, successful design research is, is the ability to do something with it. Yes. What, what, what am I going to do with this and how is it going to help inform my design work, right? Yeah. That's tricky, isn't it, Steve? I think nowadays we work in such fast-paced environments um, and there's very, very little time given to that kind of that time of synthesis and analysis that we need to move something to that kind of actionable level. Um, and so part of the challenges for us in, in the workshops that kept coming up was this around timing because often people do agile research, they're working a sprint ahead, they're taking out, they've got hours to turn something around. Um, and then you've got stakeholders expecting these levels of insight that normally would take, could take weeks and months to get to that point. So it is a, a very cha a challenging situation, I think, that we're all in. It's, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting trend because I, I feel like a few years ago we had more time um, and we, we seem to have had more time to do that exploratory upfront research both to ask the questions, uh, to, to do the observational research and to um, actually dig into it, immerse ourselves in the data, sort of really sort of make some sense of it. Um, and now we've been pulled back into that area of, look, I, I, I need something a lot faster than that and we're having to shortchange it. But I'm reminded of a, a, a piece of work I did and it's, it's over 10 years ago and it sort of predates MELD. Um, but I was working with an innovation team um, and we'd done, we'd done a, a full week of, of research interviews, probably 30 interviews in the space of a week. Uh, I had all of this information up on uh, a, a big wall, lots of post-it notes and that kind of stuff. And I've started to go through, um, you know, reading the notes, uh, putting some things together, just sort of starting some initial clustering and this kind of stuff. Um, and the, the, the guy in charge of the job sort of walked over and went, what are you, what are you doing? I said, well, here's where I'm up to type of thing. And I'm, he said, um, we've got about sort of 15 minutes I just need you to find some good quotes um, and, and we're going to put them into the presentation. Um, and I was dumbstruck. It's like, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? Like, that's not, that's not analysis. That's, you know, cherry picking some quotes kind of things. And yes, I just need some good quotes to go with those photos. I feel like we came a long way, and I think we're still a long way from that. Um, but it is it is a challenge. That sort of time pressure continues to be a challenge for um, design research broadly, I think. 
Yeah, definitely. It's definitely, I think as well, um, as organizations become more familiar with design research, they hopefully um, start to realize that there is that sort of that need for at least that one-to-one -one ratio of time between um, time out sort of collecting the data um, and time doing the analysis. But it's so often the thing that gets, um, that gets pulled when push comes to shove, I think. It's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that ratio, Michelle, because I know like we, you know, at Melt Studios, we operate in a, in a similar kind of way, um, you know, for, for every hour of time that we've spent doing research or every day we've spent doing research, we, we sort of allocate that much time to doing the, the thing. And, and I've heard uh, people like yourselves have said it in, in the past. Um, I remember talking to uh, Stephen Cox at one point in the past. Stephen obviously comes from... Um, a more uh, sort of traditional um, research background and a more formal research background. And he was strongly advocating for a two to one ratio, you know, two days of, of analysis for every day of research and, and get right into the semantic tagging of the information and this kind of stuff. And, and I thought that was exorbitant, luxurious that you might spend sort of two days. Um, those, 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 boundaries are hard to maintain yeah it's funny because it makes you think you know to go wow wouldn't it be great if we could do that right we could have that kind of work on a job where you could have two to one or you know three to one <laughs> it's kind of the dream thing but um I think it's come off in our workshops and Michelle I've always tackled it with talking about there's different levels of research right there's two there's a kind of tactical research and a strategic research and how do we help shift our stakeholders expectations around those kinds of research I think the trickiness comes when people are expecting research that influences the direction of products and, and that kind of strategic level but expecting it to be turned around in 30 minutes or an hour you mentioned give us quotes that we could put in front of the funding bodies yep. how long is this going to take we can do a day of research a day of analysis I'll see you on Wednesday well, sometimes I think Michelle was in less than a day. One of the things, I remember we were helping somebody and they had less than a day. They literally, I think they just finished the research and they were asked to have something ready in a few hours. I was like, oh. Yeah. And I feel like that's always something we, we always want to offer the project team a little bit of an update. But sometimes that update then turns into, oh, that's all we need. Uh, let, let's okay. get going, make our strategic direction based on, on that little minor update and no analysis. You can write your report, but we're off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, dear. So um, what else, I, I'm, what are some of the other things that you're going to drill into um, when we hear from you in, a, in, well, five weeks' time? Five weeks. Yeah, so one of the things we're going to talk about is the kind of framework that we were proposing in the workshop that we've been using to talk people through what the key steps in going from data to actual insights um, and also we, in the workshop, we also talked through a canvas that we had created just to help people, you know, create a bit of structure around what sometimes can be, feels like a bit of a black art <laughs> at times, um, but it's not, right? There's a bit of, there is structure to, to, our, to the way we do our, our research analysis. Um, yeah, is there anything else, Michelle, before we jump into talking about the frameworks? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think just um, using that that framework and that canvas will also just sort of talk through um, one of the pieces of research that we did for one of the workshops and um, the different the way we then use the canvas as well and and then sort of iterated on it based on. Well, I, I don't want to I, I don't want to sort of spoil what you're going to tell us in um, in in March at, at the conference. So is there are there things that are 
um, being impacted as a result of the pandemic and people being in lockdown. I mean, is is the the way in which you approach that uh, analysis and synthesis work has that changed for you in the last sort of twelve months? Yeah, um, I know that's interesting. So I know where we or where well, Michelle used to work, where we used to work. Um, they were really doing a lot of remote working because our teams were spread over multiple cities. So there was yeah. an element of that. But I think what it felt like with with COVID hitting, it's really made it the norm to do this as opposed to the alternative to doing. So working on whether it's mural or Myra or whatever the electronic tools that we're using to help us on analysis, um, it's now become much more a commonplace, I think, and much more acceptable to, to work in that space. And it's funny because I come from a very traditional place. So I come from post-it notes on walls because I feel that's really helpful for me. Yeah. And I really remember the workshops when we first had to move to, to digital workshops. I remember thinking at the time, like, oh, I don't do workshops in remote ways. And you know, that's how I've never done this. But it was such a big learning. And to see that shift in 12 months and how much of it now is just not just the new normal. Um, and doing analysis and how much more people are aware of getting to the tool and stakeholders who you think before you had to step them through these kinds of tools, they're now so much more familiar to just getting in and you can take them through your, your findings and so on. It's a lot easier as well. Yeah, and I think that's what's so awesome about some of these tools is they really have just replicated the, exactly the same sort of experience for us in terms of doing doing research on the wall uh, or doing analysis on the wall, sorry. Um, but I've actually found it really interesting because coming to a new organisation where Miro is brand new, as is Mural, um, for a lot of the teams, not so much my direct um, human-centred design team, but for a lot of the other teams in the organisation, I uh, get to take them through it. And there's always so many big, like, wow moments of, oh, this is so cool. It's just a whiteboard, but in the computer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's actually been, been really great to see. I, I was talking with someone uh, last week about this idea that it, it feels like we're only just beginning to explore the potential for some of these digital collaboration tools and these digital analysis and synthesis tools that as, as you've rightly just pointed out in in many cases what we've done is replicate a, uh, a, a physical interaction and mimicked it in a digital environment and and that comes with some flexibility but it's still taking that old paradigm and reproducing it digitally um, and the question that we were sort of talking through was the extent to which there are some um, digital only interactions or some digital only paradigms that we could be making use of where that analysis and synthesis exercise would be helped by it. Mm. Yeah, and, oh, sorry, Michelle. Yeah, I think, well, I think some of the, like, in, in my mind, there have been these sort of two very sort of different ways that, that people do analysis, one being the sort of on the wall with post-it notes and then others being in an electronic system with tagging and um, and those kinds of tools. And I feel like as a result of everything moving into um, that sort of digital realm, that there is possibility to, to use some of those things that otherwise would mean writing out a tag on, on every post-it note um, yeah. to be able to automate some of that stuff to make it that bit simpler and, and faster for us. And I think yeah. we're, still, we're still using, you know, uh, a, a post-it note metaphor um, rather than, say, 
a um, video snippet or an audio snippet and have a bunch of audio snippets on the wall or a bunch of video snippets on the wall and I, I press one of those and it plays and I go, okay, well, that goes with this one over here or um, clustering them on the basis of that segment of the transcript kind of thing. Um, having the transcript give a semantic analysis that links to the video snippets, which throws that collection onto a wall for me, which I can then, you know, like this seems like there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, back to this old mind mapping days and when, you, when the stuff can just move in the visualisation, right, across. So yep. you, you know, the way different visualisation techniques as well um, would be great to see. I think we're with that moving from our post-it note analogy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah we, we're still reliant on text um, in, in a lot of cases. You know, the, the, the smallest object of analysis is a sentence or a, a, a collection of words or a phrase or something like that, right? Like that's, that's, our, that's our unit of analysis. Um, and we replicate that in this sort of digital form. But there was, uh, without without having any answers uh, or without even really having any concrete ideas, it just felt like we're, we're just getting started with it. Yeah. yeah. There mm -hmm. are definitely some, uh, as sort of part of one of my projects recently, we've been exploring a whole heap of different um, different tools out there for doing research. Mm -hmm. And there are some, without wanting to, to name names or anything, there are some really interesting things um, being done around how to then sort of move your data um, and move your analysis and findings then into um, into sort of reports that are very sort of uh, okay. multi, well, have lots of, of different inputs and are very interesting. We uh, and we've uh, through the course of uh, twenty twenty in particular, and twenty twenty one having only just sort of gotten underway. But through the course of twenty twenty, we found that if we're working in a digital form most of the time, in order to collaborate, we should be producing reports that are mostly in a digital form to share with our clients. At some point, printing. Um, a big journey map, for example, we're better off actually, you know, creating a digital one. But if it's going to be digital, then it doesn't need to be static. So we can embed video, we can embed audio segments, we can do those sorts of things in the journey where before we would throw in a quote, we can now have a video segment to sort of help bring it to life. We can link through to a business intelligence dashboard to show metrics about a particular part of something. Um, it will be really interesting to see how our storytelling develops uh, as a result of, of this shift into more digital ways of working. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well um, how we keep those stories alive because I guess we all know that story so well of, of you sort of writing up all your research findings in a document and printing it off and handing it to the client and um, it barely gets read and um, ends up on, on a coffee table or in a bookcase somewhere. And so I think there's lots of opportunity um, with everything sort of sitting in more, well, on, on more digital platforms to work out um, good ways of keeping those stories alive and, and bringing the team and the stakeholders back to the those stories as well. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be the persistence of some of those things is going to be interesting. I know we're putting a lot of faith in some of these uh, 
um, service providers and, and tool providers to maintain the integrity of, of their data. Um, I'd hate to think what would happen if Miro went out of business and, and just shut its service down on me one day. But those, like, those sorts of challenges, I think, are um, surmountable. Um, I've got, you know, scrapbooks of post-it notes sitting here from old projects that I need to keep for another couple of years before I can uh, recycle them for exactly the same sorts of reasons. But it is, it is an interesting challenge to see what can we do with those formats to give them the persistence um, beyond the end of the project. Yeah. I also wonder how much that would influence, and we talk about actual insights, um, where things become a lot more actionable because it feels more real. People can identify more closely when they're starting to use non-textual um, uh, uh, content, right? It's part of, a part of the storytelling, part of the reporting back. Yeah, we're interested to see that evolution of, of the research practice. I think you've got a, a stronger connection with your um like between your client your client stakeholder and the people with whom you're researching um if you can bring those stories through in a more engaging way and connect those stories to the needs of the business and the actions that they're going to take mm. it creates some momentum and it creates some real urgency and some real desire to enact that change out into the world. Yeah, definitely. And such one of the things that, we, um, that we'll be sharing during the, our talk actually is about that decision makers and the motivation drivers, like how do we align and understanding what that is, right? Understanding not just our end users, but also the users of our research. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and how, how does, you know, this kind of storytelling, this insight creation all help influence those decision making? Yes, interesting. <laughs> Look, Michelle, Ruth, thank you both so much. Um, really looking forward to talking with you both at Design Research in just a few weeks' time. And lovely as always to have a chance to chat with you today. Thank you both. Thank you for having us. Steve. Thank you so much, Steve.